Well, good morning. Certainly good to see you. There's a few more of you in this service than I think than usual. Is there something going on today? Uh, my name is Brian Clayberg, as you've been told already at this point, uh, I serve on staff as the worship pastor, and every week I have the pr- privilege and the honor of leading this church in worship, and uh, this week I get the privilege and the honor of leading in a different facet of worship through the preaching and the teaching of the word, something that I love to do, I look forward to it, I'm humbled by it, and so this morning what I wanted to do is I wanted us to look at one of the parables of Jesus Christ. I love the parables, uh, they're, they're, they're some of my favorite things that Jesus taught, um, there's, there's these, these stories, these, these metaphors that he gives to us that on the outside really seem very simple, but on the inside when you unlock them are very rich in depth and in meaning. And so I want to look at one of the parables that he taught. Um, now, it's important for us to know that Jesus didn't invent the parables. The parables were around. There's actually some parables in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's kind of like the, you know the Chick-fil-A slogan? We didn't invent the chicken sandwich, we just perfected it. That's kind of what Jesus did with parables, because nobody talks about any of the other parables that other people taught. But man, we talk about the parables that Jesus taught. And he revolutionized the parables, and the way in which he would use these parables was just revolutionary among anyone else. And even to this day, even to this moment, we talk about the parables that Jesus taught. Now, a parable is not to be confused with a fable. Uh, You know a fable. A fable is usually one of those fictional stories where there's like a talking animal involved or a talking object, and we learn some moral truth. Uh, An example of that would be like the tortoise and the hare, right? Where we learn that the arrogant hare is doing all he can, and the tortoise just slow and steady wins the race. We learn that, that lesson. That's not a parable. A parable can find an example of a story. It can also be a simile or a metaphor. But basically what a parable is, is taking everyday normal life and applying it to a spiritual idea. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take things that people would know, that they would understand, that they could even see around them with their eyes in that moment, and he's going to relate a spiritual truth to that. And he just revolutionized parables. And so I want to look uh, this morning at the very first parable that Jesus taught. And it's the parable of the sower. It's found in Matthew chapter 13. If you're going to follow along, you can begin to turn there. It's found in the other Gospels as well. We're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 13. And we're also going to see that a parable, the way in which that Jesus is going to use it, is going to both reveal and conceal the truth. It's going to conceal the truth to people who don't really want to understand and don't really want to pursue and find out the meaning of the parable. And it's going to reveal truth to those that do. And he's going to use a parable to conceal and to reveal truth. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, very first parable that Jesus taught. Here's what it says. In that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed, seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. You know, it's that last phrase in verse 9 that really gets my attention. He who has ears, let him hear. What does that mean? 
Well, I think what it means for, for us is that we have a responsibility in the way that we hear or that, the way that we receive the gospel. There is a responsibility on us as the hearers of the word. My, my title for my message today is Beware How You Hear, because we need to beware how we hear, beware how we are receiving the word of God. And so um, what I want you to see, first, of all, uh, first of, all, of all, is that in Matthew chapter 13, there is, this marks kind of a shift in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Prior to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus was kind of going about his business in a different way. Uh, there was more of a focus in the first half of his ministry on preaching and teaching specifically within the synagogues. There was more of a focus on his healings and his miracles. But what has happened is the popularity of Jesus is beginning to grow. People have heard of these things, maybe through first-hand experience or second-hand experience. They, they've heard of what Jesus is doing, how he's been teaching. They've heard about the healings. They've heard about the miracles, and now they want to get a taste for themselves. And so everywhere Jesus is going, there's a crowd. It says that there was a crowd here even, so much so that he had to get into a boat just to separate himself and give some distance and some space between the crowd so that everyone could see him and he could see everyone. Whether he got on a boat on the shore or in another instance, he actually pushes off into the water slightly to get some distance. The reality is he, he needed to distance himself because there were so many people there. But what was happening is that the popularity was growing. Now, we would think that was a measure of success. We would say, oh, a lot of people, that means success. This is not how Jesus saw it. Because Jesus, being the Son of God, being God in the flesh, knows the intentions and the hearts of men, and he knows that the, the majority of the crowd is there for a show. They're there to be entertained. Uh, to put it in today's term, they just wanted to binge watch Jesus and then move on to the next show. It was nothing more than entertainment for most of the people in the crowd. And so Jesus is not going to give them what they want. He's not going to give them why they're there. I mean, you can just try to picture this scenario. You're in the crowd. There's all these people there. And you're excited. Jesus is there. He's about to teach. There's so many people. He gets in this boat. He stands up, and you're thinking, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Maybe he's going to give us another revolutionary sermon, like the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe he's going to do an awesome healing or another miracle. It's going to be great. And with all this anticipation, you're just waiting, and he stands up, and here's what he does. Before the crowd, he says, a sower went out, and he threw some seed, and some landed on the path, and the birds ate it. And some landed on the rocky ground, and it, uh, the sun scorched it. And some landed in the thorns, and the thorns choked it. And some landed on good soil, and it produced a, a fruit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's it. That's all they got. And could you imagine, like, what? wait, what, that's it? That's all you're going to give us? Like he just gives them some vague agricultural story and it's just like, shalom, I'm out, and just walks off. <laughs> That's all they get. Because Jesus, again, knows the hearts and the intentions of the crowd. And he's not going to give them what they want. And so from this point on, it marks a shift in the way that Jesus is going to go about his ministry. He's not going to have so much of a focus on the healings and the miracles, which were to prove that he, said, that he is who he said he was. He's going to shift now to teaching in parables. He's going to talk more about the kingdom of God. He's going to talk more about his death and his resurrection and the second coming. And there's going to be, to be a shift. 
It's no longer going to be for entertainment. So you can see how this would be very confusing. Even for the disciples, it was confusing. They're like, what was that about? And in fact, the disciples come to Jesus in verse 10, and they ask him what that was about. Look, look at this. Then the disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, what was up with that? Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is tricky. So Jesus, are you saying that you are now going to intentionally try to confuse the people? Does that not go in contrary with what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Again, because he knows the hearts and the intentions of the crowd. See, here's the issue. Jesus is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He has come as the Messiah. He has come as the promised king. The problem was that the crowds were not receiving him as the king. Now, they may have saw the show, and they may have even given him some credit to the point of thinking, well, maybe he's just a miracle worker, or he's a prophet. Even the religious leaders would say, we know you're of God because people couldn't do the things that you do if they weren't of God. But they were not giving him the full measure of his divinity as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, as the Messiah. He is the king. The crowds were not receiving him as the king. And so Jesus has seemingly had enough. And he's going to begin to speak to the people in parables. He gives them eight parables in that day, in that setting. He gives them eight. And the disciples come and they ask him about it. And they're confused and he gives them the reason. He says to them, you, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not... Even what he has will be taken away. You see, to the follower of Christ, you are not only given faith, you're given understanding. You're given understanding. To you it has been given to know. And Jesus is saying that certain spiritual truths were not revealed to the crowd in general. In order for you to understand them, the understanding had to come from God. And this is what happened with the disciples. It's why they're disciples. Disciples come and they ask, and Jesus is saying, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start teaching these people in parables because even though they look at me, they don't really see me for who I am. Even though they're listening to me, they don't really hear me for what I'm saying. But he says to you, you guys, you guys are. That's why you've come. That's why you've come to me asking to know the meaning. And to those who want to seek to understand and search out the meaning, more understanding will be given to them. But to those who don't, even what they think they have is going to be taken away. It's a hard verse because it's implying that you can think you know the truth and still be lost. And so how do you know? How do you know if you have true understanding? Well, this parable helps us to understand that. So what I want to do is I want to just go back through this parable because what happens is Jesus tells the parable to the crowd. Then the disciples come and ask him, why did you do that? 
Then he tells them why. Then Jesus gives the explanation for the parable. He interprets it himself, which is the best thing for us, okay? It's not my words, it's Jesus' words. So I want to show you what he tells the crowd, and then I want to jump down in the text to where he gives the explanation. So let's start off again. Uh, It says, in verse 3, a sower went out to sow. Okay, so just stop right there for a second. So in this parable, you have a sower, you have seed, and then you have four types of soils or receptions to the gospel. Now, the easy one is the seed. We know from this text and other texts that the seed is the gospel message. It is the message of the kingdom of God. It is the message of Jesus Christ. It is God's revelation. That is the seed. So who is the sower? I think we would probably naturally say, well, the sower is God. And even though that is, yes, true, because it's ultimately God's revelation, the sower is really anyone who sows the seed. Sower could be you, sower could be me. Anyone who shares or throws the seed of the gospel out is the sower. Right now, I am sowing seeds of the gospel. I am talking about Jesus Christ, I'm talking about God, I'm talking about his holy word. What that means, though, is for us as hearers of that message, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility in how we are hearing and how we are receiving the seed. And I can almost guarantee you of the four types of soils that are mentioned in this parable, all four of those soils are evident in this room today. The question is, which soil are you? So he goes on to say the first soil. In verse 4, he says, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, this was a normal thing. If you had a field, uh, you didn't want people just to trample all over your crop, and so you would walk around the field. Or maybe you would have a path that went through the field so that you could take a shortcut, but they don't want you to trample on their stuff. And even the sower, if he's walking through the field, would take the path because he doesn't want to stomp on his crop. So as people walk these paths over and over, you you get this idea. The the ground becomes hard. It becomes compacted. This is the path. Then in verse 19, Jesus gives the explanation. He says, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So this this uh, hard-packed soil along the path represents someone who does not understand. Now, their their, their lack of understanding has nothing to do with any deficiency with the seed, but only their hard-heartedness. This is someone who is indifferent to the the things of God, someone who is indifferent to anything spiritual, has no, this is someone who has continually and consistently rejected and resisted the gospel so much in their life that they have compact their heart down. And because the soil of their heart has never been softened by remorse, it has never been tilled or broken up by the conviction of sin. It has never been cultivated by the smallest desire of anything pure, good, and holy. They are left exposed. This person is left exposed to their own sin and exposed to the enemy. This is someone who has hard-heartedness. And more often times than not, this is the person who is going to use their supposed intellect as a crutch, a crutch for unbelief. 
This is the person that would say, how could you believe something like that? How could you believe something like that? You don't, you don't know that science has disproved all that? Oh, I don't believe any of that. I can't believe a God who would do this or a God who would do that. And they're going to use their supposed intellect to become their God and their faith. And their heart has been so hardened over time by their rejection of the gospel that the gospel will not and cannot take root in their heart. And I said before that we need to beware of how we hear. And so here's the first point that we get from the first soil. We need to beware of hearing with a hard heart and intellect only. You know, I love um, the proofs for Christianity. I love the study of apologetics. I love to just know that our faith is not just built blindly, but on real, factual, reasonable evidences. But at the end of the day, and I tell people this all the time, at the end of the day, faith is still required. It has to be. Your faith has to be required. Your intellect will not get you there. Even with all the evidences, even with all the apologetics, if faith is what saves you, if faith is what is the gift of God, Ephesians would say, you're, you're saved by grace through faith, then faith must be exercised and must be required. And if we are hearing the gospel and filtering it through our own supposed intellect and experiences and ideologies, our heart will be so compact that that seed will not and cannot take root. That's the first soil. Here's the second one found in verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Here's Jesus' explanation found in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see that just as immediately as he supposedly receives it, he just as immediately ditches it. Oh man, this soil is all too common. It's all too common. Especially because of how we have romanticized Christianity in the Western world. We have made it about this experience, about this feeling. And this happens all the time. Maybe someone has an experience or has a moment where they, they feel something or they experience something or they, maybe they were on hard times and a need was, net, uh, was met or maybe they were struggling and someone came alongside them and they heard the word preached and they, they, they recognized something and immediately they, they grabbed onto it. They, maybe they found a peace that they never experienced before. And it was about this moment. Now listen, I don't want to downplay any of those moments because I know they're real and they happen. They've happened for me and I know they've happened for many of you. But when the pursuit of those moments is all that it goes on, there is no seed that can take root into that. Because our emotions can deceive us. And our emotions and our experiences can fade and then what's left is people trying to pick up the pieces of, wait a minute, I'm supposed to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? Wait a minute, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to battle against my own sin and pursue personal holiness? This isn't what I signed up for. 
Or maybe they experience a, a moment of persecution, someone in their family or a friend saying, why do you believe that? Or, more than likely, what happens is they experience some suffering. They get the, the diagnosis that they don't want to hear. They get the phone call that a loved one has passed away. They go through the valley of the shadow of death in their life, or they go through that valley, and they don't come through the other side with their faith. But instead, they begin to blame God, or even disdain God, for their situation. You see, all they can see is the suffering in front of them. They forget about the one who suffered for them. All they see is their suffering, their hurt, their trial. And that is too much for them to handle. Because it was only an emotional response. And from this second soil, here's what we need to know. We gotta beware of hearing with only our emotions. Because emotions can and will deceive us. And emotions will fade and emotions will change. That's the second type of soil. The third one, he goes on in verse 7 to say this. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And here's Jesus' explanation found in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this third type of soil is not like the first. It's not the hardened rejecter of the seed. It's not like the second, the, the emotional enthusiast. This is the one who the Bible would say is worldly. This is someone who, whose heart is divided to hear the word between the word and what they desire. Their attention is split between what they hear as truth and what they want. This is the person who pursues the things of the world as their driving force in life. Whatever that may be, maybe things or possessions or riches or happiness or pleasures or power, etc. But their drive and their attention and their focus is on those things and so their heart is divided and their attention is on that and it cannot receive the truth of the gospel. And those things become thorns in their life that choke out any hope of that seed taking root. And from this third soil, here's what we see. Beware of hearing with a divided heart. You gotta beware that there are things in our life that can choke out that message to where we don't really hear it and we don't really understand it. John warns us in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Money and, and riches and possessions and those things are not the issue. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the roots of all sorts of evils. See, it's the love of those things, it's the pursuit of those things, it's the driving force for those things only that become idols in our life or thorns that choke out the seed of the gospel taking root. So we got to beware of hearing with a divided heart. Those are the first three, and then obviously we get to the fourth, which is the good soil. Here's what it says in verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, 
some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And here's his explanation in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And we've got to be clear on something here. You've got to understand this. Of the four types of soils that were mentioned, this last soil, the good soil, is the only soil in which true salvation takes place. You've got to understand that. Because this is taught incorrectly. People will say, oh, these other soils, uh, there was salvation that was experienced, and then that salvation was either taken away or it was lost. That is an unbiblical concept. You cannot lose your salvation. But here's the other reality. You also cannot lose something you never had. And you've got to understand that this fourth soil is the only soil in which true salvation takes place. Why? Because it's the only soil that what? Produces fruit. That's, that's the evidence. That shows us the good soil is good because it's the only one of the four that produces fruit. It's the only one that does that. So what does that mean? What does that say? It says that there's this byproduct of your life as a believer. If you're the good soil, if you've experienced salvation, there will be a natural byproduct that will take place, and it will be that you will bear fruit. There will be things that will come out of your life that, that show, that give evidence to the decision that you've made in your faith being real. Now also understand that these things, these fruits that we bear in our life do not save us. Because that's another misconception. You cannot just start bearing fruit and bring all your fruit before God and say, look at everything that I've done. Look how good I've been. Here's all my fruit. Save me. That is not how it works. Your fruit bearing, actually the Bible says you cannot bear fruit apart from Christ. So anything that you do apart from Christ is rotten fruit. But when you're in Christ, the fruit that you produce is different. And different people will have different levels of fruit bearing. Some 100 fold, some 30, whatever. But the point is that fruit will be evident in your life. There will be fruits of your life and the attitudes of your mind and your heart, like Paul would say, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that fruit evident in your life? Yes, there will be fruits that will be evident by your actions. See, the good soil is someone who hears the word correctly, understands it, and then acts on it and begins to do things with their hands and in their heart to show that they are producing fruit. And as you look at someone's life over a long stretch of, of, of time, over a period of time, and, and one of the greatest examples of this is the suffering and is the trial. That is fruit bearing. If you go through suffering and you go through a trial and you come through that trial on the other side and your faith is still intact, praise God for that faith. Because what that means is that God has given you a faith that is real, that is sustaining, that nothing or no one can take from you, and that is an evidence of your salvation, and it is an evidence of fruit bearing in your life. There should be fruits evident in your life. 
This is the good soil. So we need to beware. We have a responsibility in how we hear the gospel and how we receive the message of Jesus Christ. We've got to beware that we don't hear with our intellect only. We've got to beware that we don't hear with emotions only. We've got to beware that we don't hear with a heart that is divided, with attention that is divided on other things and other pursuits. But there's a fourth type of hearing. Here's what I want you to see. The last point is this. There is a type of hearing that defeats evil, overcomes trials, doesn't give in to temporalities, and produces fruit. Have ears to hear this way. Because this is what we need. We need this type of hearing. Because the other ones didn't defeat evil. It left, left, us, left us exposed to evil. The other one was just built on emotions. It didn't overcome trials, but your faith can overcome trials. The other one gave in to things and desires, and this one will overcome that, and this good soil will ultimately produce fruit. This is how we should hear. This is how we should receive the gospel message. So what type of soil are you? Listen, I know that that's cliche. But listen, that's the obvious response and application from this text. There are four types of soils. Only one of them experiences true salvation. That alone is scary. 25%. I don't know if there's anything to that, but I'm just throwing it out there. Only one of them experiences true salvation. So the, the, again, we need to beware how we hear how are you hearing? Which type of soil are you? Every week we, we have a time of response and reflection. This is done intentionally for us to have a time to just reflect on what we've just heard, to consider our own life and our own heart. And as we prepare for that time here in a moment, I just want to throw that out to you. What type of soil are you? Are, are you the one that's, that's only building everything on your supposed intellect? And your ideologies. And your heart is hard. And you need to be softened by the conviction of the sin in your life and the conviction of the righteousness of Jesus Christ coming to die for you. I pray that you would do that. Are you the soil that's built only on emotion? Maybe some of you have experienced that it was a joyful thing at one point, And you received it, but it didn't take root because it was only built on emotion and something happened in your life. And now you question God or you disdain God. And maybe the best thing for you would be to have a better understanding of suffering and a God who suffers right along with you. I pray that you would do that. Or maybe you're that third type of soil and your heart is divided. You're just chasing after things that at the end of the day, what? Are gonna fade? And you need to realize that you can chase after and have a heart that is solely bound on the revelation of Jesus Christ as your Savior, something that cannot and will not ever be taken from you. I pray that you would do that. Or maybe you're the good soil. I know many of you are. Or maybe you wouldn't even be here. If you're the good soil, how is your fruit bearing going? Can people look at your life and see the evidence of your soil? Not because you have to do things, but because you get to do things, because you want to do things because of your redemption. Is that evident in your life? 
Also, if you're, good see, if you're good soil, maybe it's time for you to be a sower and to throw some seed. Do you need to do that? Wherever you're at this morning, in a minute, we're going to have a time of response, and some of us are going to be here. We'd love to, to talk with you about that, to pray with you about that, or anything else that you need. If you want to come join the church, you can do that during this time as well, or if you just have any prayer that you would like us to, to help you with, please come and do that. There's always a, a woman available. If, if ladies, you'd rather speak and talk to a, a, another lady. But this time, these times of response are not just the end of the service that are meaningless. They're times for us to think about, how am I receiving the word of truth in my life? And what should be my response? Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for this time this morning. I thank you for an opportunity to come and to worship you and to hear from your word and to be challenged by your word. I pray, God, that um, Holy Spirit, that you would just work in our lives, that, there are, that if there are any this morning that are here, that you are working on and you are cultivating and you are working in the soil of their life, I pray that um, you would just continue to do that, that they would receive the seed of the gospel even if for the first time, and they would respond accordingly. And for those others that are representing the other soils, God, I just pray that they would turn to you. They would seek you, that they would ask for forgiveness, and that they would put themselves into a position where they can receive the gospel for what it truly is. And thank you for those that are the good soil. Help, help us, help us to be fruit bearers, and to be sowers where it is needed. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond.